0: Welcome to the USU Beef Podcast, Educator Series Podcast. Uh, My name is Ryan Larson. Grateful to to be here. With me is uh, Matt Garcia, Dr. Matt Garcia, our Beef Specialist here with USU Extension. Good afternoon, Matt. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Good. Good. There's lots going on in the beef world. Uh, Lots of decisions to be made. We're going to talk about one of those today, which often is overlooked. And that is the bull buying decision. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, it's a
1: it's a multifaceted decision. Uh, it and the thing is, it, it's it's more complex than just going out and buying a bull. No. Uh, <laughs> so I think I think what everyone's trying to just buy the new their new breeding stock and um, one of the one of the main questions I always get is you know. What's a good price for a bull? And you know, the answer to that is so variable because you know there, there's a number of factors that are going to really kind of dictate value of that bull in each operation. Uh, you know, like like I, I've seen a lot of different presentations. You know, what what is valued for that bull in one operation may not have any value in another operation. You know, it's it's, it's highly you know, variable based on what that bull is going to be used for. You know, a bull, for example, that is highly valued here in Utah, in the in Intermountain West, it may be a moderate sized bull that, you know, has, you know, easy fleshing, you know, going to have a, a lower uh, mature size. You know, that might be highly valuable to producers here because that more matches their, their production resources. That bull might not be valued at all somewhere in the Midwest or there's a higher degree of resource availability. So they want a bigger bull. They want a, 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 a cow that's gonna produce more milk. You know, they, they want a, a totally different animal. So value's really gonna be dictated differently across these operations. So when I get asked, you know, how much can I spend on a bull or what is a good price for a bull? You know, you gotta, you gotta dig a little bit deeper into that scenario to really determine, you know, what what, what is a, a good price for your operation to spend on a bull?
0: So you mentioned some of the key resources, key, um, would you could you say jobs that a bull may have here in Utah. You know, if, if you were a producer, you know, how, how would you go about selecting those key qualities?
1: <laughs> so I mean, look, once again, if we go from northern Utah to southern Utah, there's there's a big environment difference there. You know, someone down there on the Arizona Strip, you know, we're there. Virtually getting no moisture every year, you know you're, you're going to be looking for a more moderate type bull, lower energy requirements, a bull that if you're keeping replacement females off of him, you know those females aren't going to you know dump huge amounts of milk. You know the reason you don't want them dumping huge amounts of milk is the the more a cow more milk a cow produces, the more nutrients she requires. So most of the nutrients she's going to get is from forage. So if the forage isn't there, she's milking real heavy. She's going to milk to her genetic potential, but she's not going to rebreed for you that next year. So, you know, that bull's value is, is lost because you're not getting more genetics into that herd. Now, here, here in northern Utah, it's, it's not much different. I mean, obviously, we get a little bit more precipitation. We're a little greener, a little bit. Um, so, I mean, it's a little bit different animal. We can maybe select for an animal that's maybe a little bit bigger, uh, you know, a little bit more nutrient requirements, but we're not going to be selecting the same animal that's you know, grazing out in a pasture in Missouri.
0: So if I'm hearing you correctly, this decision has multiple year impacts, mm-hmm. right? The selection of your bull could change the trajectory of your operation for better or worse. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's something people
1: forget is that's not just a one year impact. You know, if you're keeping replacement females off that bull, you know, one, you got to understand that bull's spring his genetics across your entire herd or a good number of your herd. So if you're keeping females in there, you're you're essentially seeing the impact of his, his genetics until that cow or that heifer at a year of age if she breeds. You know, and then at two years when she calves, so that, that genetic time point is a minimum of two years for that, that bull. But I mean, if that cow remains in the herd, you know, his genetics are there, half his genetics are in that herd for the remainder of that cow's life. So she's going to continue to put forth his performance, his, his potential in that herd going forward. So it's not just a one year deal. This is gonna affect you multiple years. It's gonna affect your nutrition program, your range program, your marketing program. It's not just gonna affect that one calf crop. It's gonna affect multiple years of calf crops going forward because those genetics are there. So identifying the genetics you value and wanna be in your, your base herd is essential.
0: So maybe a producer should start with, you know what, let's prioritize those right. genetic traits that we want and then go to price. But right. I think, Am I correct in saying that often we look at price first and then worry about those other things second?
1: No, exactly. And I think that's one of the big misconceptions that we get is you'll hear people say, you know, that $10,000 bull is a really good bull because they, oh, he must have been awesome. They spent $10,000 on him. Well, he may have had the traits that were valuable to them. That bull, if you selected him and used him, may actually cause you to lose money because he's not compatible with your system. So you're exactly right. Prioritizing the traits that are gonna make an animal efficient, profitable, you know, long-lived in your operation is more important than looking at price. Now, obviously, you know, if there are multiple people that are valuing the, that same set of traits at the levels that you are, you know, price might go up because you got competition for that bull. But what we tend to see when we start ranking our trades and getting very specific about what we want in those bulls, we tend to be able to narrow down our price a little bit better to exactly to, – to, to more fit our budget.
0: Yeah, I think uh, – you know, in Utah specifically. I, correct me if I'm wrong. If, if I'm in Missouri with lush grass, I mean – this decision isn't gonna have the repercussions, but in Utah, where our resources can vary so so dramatically year to year, resource availability, whatever that may be, extreme temperatures, that, that bull selection becomes even even that much more important.
1: Right, because that bull, like I said, he if you're
0: keeping females off him,
1: you're incorporating those females into your base here. So that those genetics are there. So In good years, but we tend to see them when we have a lot of rain, a lot of grass, we tend to really select for those bigger, fleshier, fatter animals, and we, oh, they're doing great. Then exactly what you're saying happens, that environment fluctuates. And that animal no longer has those resources to be that that animal anymore. You know, so if if we properly select, you're right. If you have constant resource on the ground, you know, it's not gonna be as impactful because that animal has everything it needs to do what it wants. Basically at that point, you're you're basically just modifying the final appearance. What we tend to be doing here in Utah and in the Mountain West is we're trying to kind of finalize or, or come to a genetic compatibility. We, we need an animal that can be adaptable with those fluctuations in our environment, still still be productive
0: you know when i when i put on my finance hat i look at i look at the bull the investment in a bull as a capital budgeting or net present value is what we call it when there's an initial outlay so we purchase the bull then we have these cash flows coming back in in the subsequent years it's not a we buy it and we get an re, immediate return right. we have to look at those cash flows and in this case, those cash flows are going to be from the quality and the, the quantity that we're getting back from its offspring. Right. And so when we look at that, we can start to say, OK, what's the return on investment? Mm-hmm. Not only just the price, but what's our return on investment? And that return on investment is going to be driven by how well that bull and those genetic uh, compatibility, if you would say, how that com- comes back to my herd as a, as a whole. Right. Because that's really what we want is, a, is a, that return to be positive. Mm-hmm. And to, to generate profits for our business. Well, I mean, wouldn't you
1: say too that you know that bull has more costs associated with him than just the purchase price? Yeah. Because obviously you got to maintain him. Yep. You know, during that breeding season he gets injured, you got vet cost, you got off-season costs because he's only breeding 90 days of the year. You know, and then you also got to take into account, you know, what is what is the cost, I guess, of the animals that he has sired that you're now incorporating in the herd. And in, in my basic, I guess, understanding of it, you would want an animal that is less costly to maintain but still productive, correct? That can produce a value, a product that's valued in the market.
0: Right, because you know, especially in, a, in these tight margin, profit margin uh, market uh, scenarios we have right now, any way we can reduce that cost of production is money in our pocket. Right. And if we're trying to maintain a high maintenance animal, and and then the offspring are high. I mean, that just that just increases our cost of production, right? And and overall decreases our profitability. So uh, there's it's really a, a lose lose. What other recommendations, as 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 a producer tackles this problem? What other recommendations would you have? Well, one of the things that I I talk to producers a lot because.
1: You know, they, they tend to tend to be creatures of habit in the beef industry. And One of the things we do is we tend to go to the same auctions. We tend to look at the same type of bulls. And, you know, there, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that if that's workforce. for us. But, you know, it, it almost becomes, you know, almost a, you have to have a strategy going into this. You know, one thing I tell producers is identify multiple auctions that may have an animal that you value or animals you value, you know, and, you know, really work through an entire bull sale catalog. What we tend to do is, and they do this on purpose, they put those really shiny, great, kind of extreme animals at the front of the auction. And we we tend to see that because those first animals come out, those auction prices are, you know, those those are the record prices for the auction. So it's good to identify an animal in there, but more than likely, if if you're a cow-calf operator, you're just getting a bull, to get some calves on the ground, generate some replacements. Those animals are probably not gonna be optimal for you from a budgetary standpoint, and probably some other uh, physical or genetic standpoints here in Utah. You know, so work through that entire catalog, identify, you know, multiple animals throughout the auction at different points of the auction, because prices will fluctuate. You know, as people, you know, get to those extreme animals, people start running out of money you know, the more animals go through, you can tend to identify animals a little later in the auction. Um, one of the big misconceptions with some of the producers is if you buy an animal at the end of the auction, you're getting a lesser animal. If that animal's genetic potential matches what you want, you're, you're getting an animal that is valuable to you. Now, the animals at the end of the auction tend to be some of your younger animals. They're still breeding animals, they're just younger than, and a little bit smaller than it's in some of the animals at the front of the auction. Um, I would say that that would probably be a big strategy right there. But I think the the big strategy that I would say is what you said at the beginning of this: prioritize the traits that are op that are needed for your operation. Because if you if you just go in there and you're looking at price, you know price does not indicate performance. So that, that's what I'd say to producers.
0: Yeah. So. One word that you keep throwing out here is, uh, or a phrase, is this idea of resource compatibility, mm-hmm. and you know, and, and sometimes we don't throw a bull into that uh, category, right? But mm-hmm. but like you say, it's it's all part of this system. We've we've been talking about this system, your cat, your livestock production system. How does the the bull fit into that system? Well, I think you know you got to. The bull really is is that that
1: vector to get the, the new genetics in our herd. And he has to fit that system in. You know, this kind of goes back to a little bit further back on a different topic. You need a bull that is gonna be able to survive and produce in that system. You know, we we have gotten away from a lot of these bull bull development programs where they're developing these bulls in a feedlot. You know, so they're basically getting a finishing ration, you know, a bunch of corn, high energy feed, so they're they're big, they're fat, you know, they look great. But then you take that animal and you throw him out in range, you know, he's no longer compatible with that system. His rumen is no longer developed in a way that he can utilize that that forage out there. So the first thing that happens to him, he starts losing weight. He starts losing body condition score. When he gets too low, just like anything else, if he can't maintain himself, he's not going to go breed couch. So basically, you got a sale bill right there that isn't producing the product to justify that return on investment. You know, he's he's gotta fit that system from a from a, a genetic standpoint, from a physical standpoint, you know, he, he's gotta be able to come in from a, a system where he was developed properly to actually go out on range and be be efficient. You know, he can't it can't be a situation where you're spending five thousand dollars on a bull and you have to, you're having to pull him off range because he's lost so much bike and you're, you're scared he's gonna die. You know, he has to fit that system as well. And that's, that's the big thing here that we keep talking about is really essential here in, in Utah, is we have a, a very unique and almost harsh environment. You know, these animals a lot of times are having to move quite a bit to find feed, have to move quite a bit to go to, to water. So these bulls not only have to have that genetic potential, but they have to have the ability to move and travel and cover cows and remain healthy and be sturdy. So we, we have some different challenges here that, you know, really kind of, we, we have to look at bulls in a different way if they're going to really pay off in our systems.
0: One topic that you talk about in, in this article is choosing a, a breeder. Mm-hmm. How do you, how do you, how do you go about doing that?
1: That That's a little, I mean, that that's a, a big debate because, I talked a little bit about in the article how some of our, our larger, established, proven breeders, you know, prices at those auctions tend to be a little higher, and justifiably so because they've worked very hard to develop a product that is consistent and and will perform. You know, a lot of these larger auctions are multi-generational. You know, they've developed something, a breed or type of bull that Producers know it's gonna work for them in their operation. And these operations tend to be able to stand behind that bull. What I mean by that is if the bull you know, comes up lame or you know, he, he can't pass a breeding soundness exam, they'll buy the bull back and replace him. Now, that being said, there's, there's some newer type co-ops that are coming up. And these aren't necessarily multi-generational breeders, but they're selling similar genetics. They're just not, they haven't been doing it for, for decades. You know, and I say, you know, look at these breeders, you know, a lot of these breeders, you know, just just like in any agricultural system, reputation is very important. So even though they're new, a lot of these guys will stand behind those bulls. And the genetics a lot of times are just as good as some of these other other these breeders because through the use of artificial insemination, embryo transfer, these smaller breeders that these bull sales are able to get those genetics from those proven sources And just put them into their their base herd and then sell animals with those genetics. So, you know, if you're going to some of these these smaller ones, you know, it's kind of a double edged sword. You know, it might be a better price, but on the other hand, if someone else, you know, some of these these, these smaller ones don't have as many lots to sell, and a lot of people figure out, hey, the genetics on this is pretty good, you're in competition for a smaller number of animals at auction. Which could lead to prices going
0: going through the roof so yeah those are great points so this article we'll post a link to this article and, and attach it to this podcast um, any other last bits of advice as a as you kind of conclude this this topic that this it's not an easy topic no
1: but i i can't say to conclude there are some things you should not do do not buy bulls out of a sick pen because <laughs> price will be better, right? Yeah. Because it's something no one else wants. And more than likely, you're going to have to take home and incur additional cost to get that bull right. Uh, do not buy bulls that were injured during the sale after the sale. You know, yeah, they, they look a little bit better. They might be moving pretty good, probably because they're not sore anymore. The second you put them out on the range, nine times out of ten, I've seen this happen, that bull goes lame again. You got to pull them out. So, I mean, be prepared. Don't wait till the last minute. Don't buy bulls that are left over after the sale because more than likely no one saw value or there was something wrong with that bull. And don't buy bulls out of sick pens after people say they're okay. So price, price isn't everything. (laughs) No, price price is, what is it? Beauty's in the eye of the beholder. Price is kind of the same thing. you know. If, if price goes up, like I talked about in the article, you know, someone has value associated with something with that bull that you might not value. You know, a $100,000 bull is not going to be a cow-calf operation bull. They have the intention of probably collecting his semen from him, selling AI. You know, he's going to be an AI stud. He's not going to be out there breeding 20 cows every season. Yeah. So price price is not always the indicator of value.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you, Matt. Uh, hopefully, this podcast can help you as a farmer, rancher, understand the value in, in analyzing what those characteristics are as you go to to purchase a bull. Um, how to analyze different characteristics, uh, resource compatibility, genetic compatibility, all those issues. Uh, please utilize the the published published fact sheet that will be available. The link will be available attached to this podcast. So. Thank you, Matt, and enjoy the rest of your day. All right, thank you.